0: Hi, I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Todd DeShida. And this is The Climate Optimist. This week's show, we're planning to talk a little bit about climate impacts in agriculture. Not a simple topic, but one that needs to be discussed. You agree, Todd?
1: I do, and I definitely agree with the fact that it's not simple. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it hurt my simple brain. I think I made the assumption because we both grew up On farms and farming communities That this would be an easy topic And I think it's turned out to maybe be the hardest topic (laughs) (laughs) That we've done so far
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there On the climate science side of this thing
0: And all the, you know, interactions Between different elements And how that impacts crops And benefits some and hurts others Yeah, definitely Yeah, so we'll try to do it justice it might be ugly at points. (laughs) So hang on. But before we go there, this week's reason for hope, and this truly is a reason for hope, Senate Democrats are in discussions about adding a carbon price to the $3.5 trillion infrastructure package. The current proposal is to have it start at $15 a ton and go up from there. I will say the $15 a ton is not sufficient, but, you know, Got to start somewhere. Indeed. The goal would be, I think, to use the funds to pay for some of the programs being proposed with the infrastructure plan. Nice. It would apply to oil, natural gas, coal, all of it at the source, which would make it easier to administer. As part of that, too, they're also suggesting a repeal of all the fossil fuel subsidies. They still have subsidies? They still have subsidies. Shocking. Hopefully, this proposal will will fix that. The only thing I would say, given what we talk about here, is it would be nice if they could include a dividend of some sort for consumers to help kind of shield them from the price. Mm. $15 a ton, we're not going to notice, but Mm. as that climbs, that'll be a bigger deal. Yeah, right. And then the other thing that we've also talked about is the need for a border adjustment and the idea that, you know, basically goods that are produced elsewhere that are you know don't have rigorous climate policies in place would would pay a fee at the border so it helps level the playing field but the real advantage it helps put pressure on china and india and other big carbon markets right well that's awesome yeah fingers crossed
1: yeah i hope that i hope that gets done i hope there's political will and ability to to make that happen
0: yeah and we'll get into later in the episode how all of us can help try to get this across the finish line excellent so some may be aware, record droughts and heat have been hitting the western U.S. this year. It was the hottest July on the west coast in the past 127 years. Might as well be all time. And right now about 49% of California is in a extreme drought category. You know, we're here in Oregon, and Oregon similarly has some areas that are in extreme drought. And having the heat... Sort of compounds the effect of that. So, you know, it's been making the drought worse.
1: Right. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard much about the Klamath Falls situation, this drought situation that they're in. And of course, they have all these different, I don't know what to call them, stakeholders. So you've got some tribes, you've got agriculture, you've got the environmentalists, and they're all kind of like wanting this water. It's like an Old West movie down there, you know, like somebody shut off somebody's water upstream or whatever, you know? And I mean, it's literally is kind of like that because they actually have shut the water off on certain years to agriculture entirely because they have to have that water for flows for the fish, which as you know, you know, any irrigated land, if you, if you don't have any water, it's just, that's crucial, right? So it's it's a really serious situation. They're in there with this water scarcity problem. I think there's like twelve hundred family farms there. You know, it's just one of these situations that uh, is going to only be made worse, you know, by what we're going to talk about here in the episode.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, you're right. So I think it's important to call out that farmers have always faced, you know, adverse weather and having to manage the weather. that's, That's not a new thing.
1: Not at all. There's just luck of the draw in some of that. You know what I mean? It really is.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really a gamble they go through every year. I think the important thing to realize is that climate change is going to just make that harder. You know, I don't know what it was like where you grew up, but it, it seems like you're always having to think about those weather variables and trying to balance risk, and sometimes you win, sometimes you don't.
1: Yeah, definitely, and we, we had that experience a lot. Um, you know, where I grew up, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's it's a desert, you know, I think it's rated as a desert if you look at annual rainfall. So everything <laughs> is based on on stored water, you know, from the reservoirs. So, you know, we, we've experienced drought there, high temps. When you get in those situations, water starts to get uh, scarce, and they start they start limiting what you're going to get that year. And, you know, it can be a real big problem. And I, I don't know what your situation was like.
0: Yeah, we, we were fortunate I think, in being a little less dry, so we're, mm-hmm. I don't know what our sort of classification would be, but yeah, we have, you know, a mountain range that captures a lot of, you know, winter snowpack, and then we have the benefit of a couple of reservoirs to mm-hmm. to capture that in the spring, but even still, I mean, we've had dry years, and, you know, that's, it's only been getting worse, and so then, you know, farmers who've never had to, you know, deal with having a well or having to put in wells to be able to pump from that, and and in areas you know where groundwater is maybe already strained, that becomes problematic too. So, so yeah, I you know even in an area where I would say we don't suffer sort of chronic droughts, it was it was problematic. Yeah, and even
1: outside of drought and just extreme <clears throat> extreme weather events at key times, you know, high winds, uh, you know, a lot of water dumping down at once can just really just screw everything up.
0: Well, that's a great point. I mean, it really can wreak havoc there were years when I think we lost almost our entire potato crop when a hailstorm came through and Mm. knocked all the foliage off Mm -hmm. or we had a, an early unexpected freeze that killed the potatoes before they'd had a chance to really size up. And so the yield was substantially lower. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not just, it's not just drought and heat. It's, it's all those variables. And the fact that even with best laid plans, you can find yourself in a situation where things get ugly. Definitely. So today what we're planning to explore are really the primary climate impacts facing farmers, kind of our perspective on those, and in turn what solutions are available to help them adapt. And then obviously how, you know, as folks who are concerned about climate change, how can we help that farming community? So at a high level, we kind of touched on this maybe already a little bit, but the major projections for climate in the west are you know higher temperatures we're expected to see at least in the northwest wetter winters drier summers more frequent heavy precipitation events so you know that that series of storms that you might get in the spring all of a sudden it's coming down in one storm and you're getting an inch and a half instead of you know having that be spread out over five different storms right and then I know you'll get into this, but decreasing snowpack is mm-hmm. another is another huge one. So all the things together are gonna make it more challenging for farmers. And really I would sort of classify the impacts in kind of three different categories. You best case you see some reductions in crop yields, you know, on bad years, but by and large things are okay. If you get a extreme event like we just talked about, you can end up with crop failure, right? And in places like Klamath Falls, we mentioned, you may eventually find yourself in a situation where you can't grow crops there anymore altogether.
1: Right. Yeah that that's true. I I think snowpack is going to be a huge problem here in the West. We just rely so much on stored water, which snow which is usually dependent on on snowpack. Snow itself kind of acts as its own reservoir, right? And so. You want snow to melt at a certain duration, at a certain time of the year, so that you kind of fill the reservoir at a certain time of year, and you get water later in into the summer when you need it, when it's hot and there is no rainfall. So I'm, I'm sure you can speak to that with your experience growing potatoes.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at a potato sort of growing cycle, I mean, it's similar to a lot of plants, like you need water throughout the cycle, but mm-hmm. as the you know potato plants get bigger you need more water and you're also hitting that point in the summer when temperatures are higher so the water demand is higher and so yeah having a situation where you don't have late season water or you have diminished late season water is is really problematic
1: yeah definitely and you know there's w- western snowpack is is really projected to decrease at lower elevations like in the Cascades here in Nevada for example and that's really crucial because, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of people think when of snowpack, they think of some tall mountain snow peak, peak or something, you know, yeah. but there's a lot of lower elevation snowpack that a lot of these reservoirs rely on. And as you talked about earlier, when you talk about wetter winters, you know, that might reflect in the annual numbers as you're getting the same precipitation as you did before. But if the temps are higher and it comes down as rain in the winter instead of snow, right, in those same areas where it used to come down as snow, that's not going to be helpful to you no. in these, you know, reservoir situations for storage. So that's really crucial if that water comes off earlier, it comes off too fast. If there's a high temp event early in the spring or than, earlier than normal, that's also a bad thing. And also, too, uh, if you look at places like California where water's already stretched, we talked about Climate Falls, but, you know, California as well, Sacramento Valley, I mean, it's a huge ag region, you know, and if you don't, if you don't, if you just want to understand the scale of it without looking at a bunch of numbers, just look at Google Maps <laughs> and look at that valley and wow. how huge it is. It's just massive, right? And right now, you know, demand is already three times larger than what the Sacramento River's supplying and 16 times larger than what the San Joaquin River is supplying. That's crazy. So, I mean, the demand, they're already stretched. They're already in a bad spot. You know, lack of water, you know, could, could and will mean that some areas, you know, you might no longer be able to just grow crops there, or right. at least the same type of crops, which is a problem too. I mean, I think people are like, oh, well, if you can't grow this crop because it takes too much water or the temperature changed too much, just grow some other crop. But if you think about the scale of trying to change something like that, It's massive where these communities in these areas have built up over, you know, literally like a hundred years or or more in some cases to, to grow certain things. And they have all this infrastructure and distribution and storage and transportation and equipment and just all the skills to do this, these certain things to change that. Yeah. I mean, it would just be, it would be huge cost to do that.
0: Well, and, you kind of hinted at that, but you know, the other thing is just even learning curve. I mean yeah. there're certainly crops that are simpler to grow. I mean, farmers would tell you that that, you know, there's some that are more require a lot more sophistication than others. But if you're you spent years figuring out all the nuances of a crop and now you have to switch over to something else, that's not a quick transition.
1: Yeah, it's it seems like a big lift.
0: So in addition to snowpack, I think the other major issue in terms of climate change for the west are going to be these extreme weather events so you know it's not to say that increasing temperature isn't going to make things harder or you know less summer water isn't going to make things harder but it's those unexpected events that are really going to cause problems so you know high heat events can be especially devastating if they hit a crop at a particular time of year like you know thinking about right before you're getting ready to harvest when a lot of the you know whatever you're growing is sizing and getting to that point where a few weeks makes a big difference in yield we just had recently here in the northwest you know folks that live here are are very aware um a massive heat wave back in june that uh you know that that had impacts not only for us but for but for farmers i mean there's a region in southeastern Washington where they grow what they call walla walla sweet onions. Right. And there was an 80% crop failure as a result of that heat wave. They were just in the midst of harvesting, but the heat literally baked the onions in the ground. And so they were only able to salvage about 20% of that. Wow. Which, yeah. You can bounce back, I think, occasionally from those things, but you to try to do that year after year is going to become hugely problematic. Definitely. You know, the other one that I think is more of an issue or people associate more with, like, the East Coast or the Midwest are high precipitation events. And, you know, out here, I think it becomes problematic, maybe not so much in the in the case of erosion, but in the fact that you your soil, unless it's really healthy soil and porous, isn't going to be able to absorb that. That big storm where if it came over multiple events, Mm. you'd be able to soak it in. And so I think, to me, that's going to be a a problematic piece when those events come through. Right. The other other thing I think that we want to call out is just kind of the fact that temperature, higher temperatures, can really compound the effects of drought. I think we talked about this a little already, but drought unto itself is problematic. But if you add high temperature to that, you know, your soils become more dehydrated. Plants demand more water. You get more evaporation when you're putting that water down. So it really is kind of a, a multiplier in terms of making those droughts worse. Um, you know, and I'm guessing, again, growing up in northeastern Oregon, where you did, facing droughts and heat was kind of a common occurrence.
1: It is. I, I feel like there's a drought cycle there that, you know, pretty much it feels like every five years or so, there's big drought problems and water problems, you know, and and if, if you think about what would happen if those periods got extended, right, it could be really detrimental. And we also, you know, obviously we deal with some pretty high heat there too. Right. And I think there's a projection that, in Malheur County anyway, that, you know, climate change could cause there to be an average of like 38 days more over 90 degrees. Wow. In a summer, which that's a lot of days, right? Yeah. Um that's like a you know, over a month's worth of days over ninety. Believe me, there's already a lot of days over ninety <laughs> there and days over a hundred are just super common now. And I know there's certain crops that like heat. Sure. But
0: uh there's a limit to that, right? So again, it it kind of feels like we're going down this dark path of <laughs> doom and gloom and the world <laughs> is over. Uh the good news is, as always there are you know, there's solutions to help deal with, with what we're facing. And, you know, in the in the case of agriculture, one of the most basic is trying to shift crop varieties. So moving from maybe wheat that, you know, is good for what it is now to wheat that is more, you know, drought tolerant or can handle that, that extra heat. Farmers can also really focus on, creating soils that better capture and store water and that really can be done in you know one of two ways first reducing the amount of tillage you do so basically how much you're turning over the dirt out in your field in the case of a crop like wheat or like corn it means that you're coming through and you're you're cutting and harvesting the crop and then rather than turning over all the leftover stocks, you're leaving them there you know, as roots to, to give the soil structure, and then you're planting that next year right into the old field. And so by doing that, you're preserving the water in the soil, and then you're also making it better equipped to capture water when that water comes down.
1: Right. Interesting story. I started out, when I entered college, I started out as an ag major. And you can probably see as evidence from this podcast why I didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> but really, But really, I did... I think I was I was going to go into ag ed, but uh, I got into a, like crops and soils class and like a gen animal genetics class and I was like, I am out of this. My brain was hurting, huh? I mean, it wasn't that it was that hard. I just didn't care. <laughs> you know, and I realized that I didn't. It wasn't for you. It wasn't for me and I, I just wanted to, you know, I ended up being a theater major. So, I mean, you know, that's a that's kind of a, a wide...
0: It's a big shift. It's a big shift right there.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, I guess it's probably fortunate for the theater community and maybe also fortunate for the ag community.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't speak for the theater community either.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, when creating healthier soils and soils that are more porous, you know, the first piece is really reducing tillage. The second is implementing a technique called cover crops where you, know, you might have your primary crop that you harvest and then there's going to be a time period before you would typically plant your, your next crop, putting in a temporary crop like you know, for instance, like clover, to help add some nutrients back to the soil, avoid, you know, bare dirt that, you know, can be eroded away. Yeah. And and it's another way that just kind of adds organic matter and makes the soils more spongy and able to to capture water.
1: Definitely. Another major solution, obviously, is kind of altering water infrastructure and how how we use water to make it more efficient. And, you know, the obvious one is, is converting to sprinklers. I'm sure people driving down the freeways have seen, you know, a lot of sprinklers, you see them going out there. Yep. But in a lot of cases, what you didn't see before is that they possibly watered with cement ditches or dirt ditches and open ditches where you're just basically flooding the landscape so, obviously, converting to sprinklers is much more efficient. Also, there's a lot of use of, well, maybe not a lot, but there's starting to be a lot of use of drip irrigation now, which you might be more familiar with, like, in your garden. You know, you hook these drip lines up to a faucet. and um, But they're using this stuff in large scale now, which also does a really great job of getting the water to where it needs to be. You know, obviously, the goal is, is limiting evaporation and putting water just the right amount of water where it's needed. And when you're flood irrigating, you're just basically saturating the top of the field. Bottom of the field might not get as much water. Or the worst, too, is that you just run so much water, you just run it over the top of it, right? You deal with erosion, you're running a lot of water off the bottom into the field that just goes into a pond or goes back into the canal system. Right. So there's definitely a lot of benefits to to using sprinklers and there's programs out there and soil water conservation um, entities are helping you know farmers with uh, grants and subsidies and stuff to to kind of afford to be able to make these conversions so that's definitely one way of doing it of course storage as well you know that's going to be probably a consequence of some of what we're talking about is that there might be a need to add more reservoirs right. and more reservoir
0: storage somehow if we're losing the snow as our as our reservoir we need to find a way to replace that
1: which and you know obviously uh, you'll be talking to uh, about rivers next week you know that has impact too right i mean you know that has obvious impact if you're trying to, you're changing the landscape you're you're changing the natural flow of things and so you know we don't want to have to do that right unless we absolutely have to and it won't be cheap you know in my region the Owyhee reservoir is really the only reason why a lot of the region I grew up, I think, in is there. It provides water for 118,000 acres. Wow. Like over 1,800 family farms. And so it's just a, a big operation, you know, and it's cool. I mean, my, my family's had a lot of involvement with that place. My A lot of my family's worked for that irrigation district there. My dad has in his kind of second career. Had an uncle that worked there. My grandfather worked at the dam for... 20 years. And I remember as a kid, you know, just going up there and running around with him and the generators and the dam and it felt pretty cool. You know, it was like a unique experience for sure.
0: They were never out there with, uh, with flak jackets and, and firearms related to protect the water from being taken. No,
1: no, it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty concrete system. It'd be really hard to, to steal water because basically there's the water they're putting down the river And then there's this underground gatehouse that you have to go down all these spiral stairs built in the 30s, you know, go down there, turn on the gates to let water down.
0: So as always, there are policies that can be helpful in, you know, instituting certain solutions. And while crop insurance is something that exists today, having more robust crop insurance programs to protect farmers is going to be essential you know, there are already incentives out there to help encourage, you know, adopting sustainable practices like we've talked about, but we need to be able to adopt those practices more quickly. So, you know, revisiting the size of the subsidies in the program, I think is important. And then the other piece of this is really making sure that farmers have the technical resources they need in terms of adopting what might be new practices. You know, farmers are busy enough uh, with their day job. And, yeah you know, trying to get a farmer to sit down and have time to, you know, do this kind of research on their own um, could be a real challenge. I think we should probably caveat that while we may sound like we really know what we're talking about, that <laughs> that we, we wanted to cover a subset of solutions that exist. There are others. And it's also important to remember that not every solution is one size fits all. And it's mm. going to depend on where you are, what makes sense. And lastly, the biggest thing, arguably, we, all of us can do is really working on curbing our carbon emissions as quickly as possible. Because when you look at the the climate projections, which we have, you can see there are potentially two very different scenarios that are going to be facing farmers. And while it's going to be a challenge regardless, if we're able to cut quickly, it, it can make a huge difference in the long run. Yeah, agreed. So what can we do? The most important and we talked about this a little bit earlier in terms of the different climate scenarios that farmers might be facing, is mitigating climate change. So while there are many solutions out there to help farmers adapt, the biggest thing I think all of us can do is help with cutting emissions and getting us to net zero as quickly as possible. We need to encourage President Biden to support carbon pricing as part of this infrastructure plan. We'll have resources on our website to help you do that, but this is a huge opportunity and carbon price in place. The other thing that you can do if you're looking specifically at at agriculture is donating to a nonprofit. There are a lot of nonprofits out there, and I think it's just important to do your homework. So one organization that we feel does a great job is the Environmental Defense Fund. Their scope of services is huge, but they do have a large team working on water initiatives in the West. The goals of those are really, you know, reversing groundwater depletion, getting water markets sorted out rewarding good practices and and they have work that's focused on California Central Valley, like we were talking about, and as well as the Colorado River. So consider a donation to, to Environmental Defense Fund if you want to help out with some of those water related initiatives. So that was a lot, huh? I, I feel like it was almost just like a, a filibuster for the last forty <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> Do you Yeah, I mean, you know We were going. we I felt like we were going. it, it was it was all right. Yeah, well, I guess for our audience, hopefully this was informative. Uh, We tried to pack a lot of information in here, maybe got a little bit too ambitious (laughs) (laughs) in what (laughs) we wanted to cover. But, you know, I think the takeaway message is that agriculture is going to have a rough road ahead. There are things that exist to help them in the face of climate change. And in my mind, while there are a lot of solutions to help them adapt we need to continue to focus on the real elephant in the room, which is mitigating climate impacts, because that's arguably the, the biggest thing we could do to support them. So as always, thanks for tuning in. Come back next week for more climate solutions, reasons for hope, and ways each of us can make a difference. Climate Optimus is made possible by the Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimus.co. That's climateoptimus.co. Follow us on social at Climate Stewards Collective.